0: Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger at First Baptist Church, Gulf Breeze, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. Open your Bibles to Psalm 139. So I was awakened on Friday morning by Shannon, who said, Jeff... Roe v. Wade this morning was overturned. And instantly, I jumped online and I started to listen to what people were saying because I wanted to kind of get a temperature of, of what the reaction would be. And it was, as expected, it was polarized. Some people felt like it was the uh, the greatest decision that has been made in the last 50 years. Others felt like it was the destruction of women and we went backwards uh, for centuries. And and. There there were very polarized views there, and as I was reading through the comments, my mind instantly went to this morning, Sunday morning, that I needed to speak on the subject, and so the message today was going to be old versus new. It was dealing with how old stuff and new stuff converge and all that kind of stuff. We're going to postpone that probably till next week, because this morning I want to talk to you on an issue that is so important that it literally cannot be overstated, Now, there is no surprise that the issue of abortion has been a concern for God's people for the last 49 or 50 years, because in 1973, Roe v. Wade uh, essentially made a federal law that that legalized abortion. That's oversimplifying it, I know, but that's essentially what it's viewed as as and what happened. And so, for the last almost 50 years, it has been the law of the land, and uh, there has been constant... Battles, constant fights, constant struggles over it. Uh, And then Friday morning, Roe v. Wade was overturned. And so the pendulum has shifted to the other side. What I want to do this morning is I want to speak to the issue of why this is important. And I want to hopefully give you some understanding if you don't have a clear picture of why. I want to give you some understanding of what the Bible says about it and why we should be firmly, completely for the life of the unborn. Now, in saying that, I want to acknowledge a few things. Number one, um, there's a lot of concern that if, or excuse me, there is a, a, a culture in our country that says, if you disagree with me, that is in itself being unkind. That is not true. If disagreement equaled being unkind, then no marriage would ever last. Because disagreements in a marriage are a commonplace thing, right? No boyfriend-girlfriend would last. No mother-father son, or son-daughter. No, no relationship on earth would last if by disagreeing that equals you are being unkind. In fact, without disagreement, we all think the same way, act the same way. There's no differences between us at all. And that's just not life. So we can disagree on something and it not be unkind. Now, we can be disagreeable in an unkind way. But let me tell you what unkind is not. Unkind is not speaking truth. If something is true, it is true. Now, I recognize that some people may think it's not true, but nevertheless, if something is believed to be true, it's not necessarily being unkind to say, this is what I believe because this is what I see as truth. So, it's interesting too that usually the unkind argument goes only one way. You're being unkind if you speak for life. But if you speak for choice, you're not being unkind, you're just telling the truth. You see how that's always one way? So just we need to understand that unkindness is not, is not necessarily a result of just speaking truth. It can be done in, a truth in an unkind way, but that's not always the case. So number two, this is a very sensitive topic. Because statistically speaking, in this room, we have women who have gone through this ordeal of abortion. And if not, maybe personally, you are personally involved or related to someone who has dealt with this. So I walk on eggshells in the sense that there is in no way any judgment or condemnation from me to you if you were in that position. There is absolutely none of that it's nothing but grace and mercy and to the best of my ability to understand and to to help shed some light on the issue, not on the specific person or the specific instance. I want to be very clear on that because it seems as though a lot of the arguments that I'm hearing on social media are simply arguments from experience. And in many ways, the argument is for Choosing abortion to justify the choice that has already been made. In other words, there's a lot of guilt, there's a lot of sadness, there's a lot of brokenness. And so, if I don't affirm this, then I am putting myself in a place of being guilty. And that is a hard place to be. So, I say that to say that's not what you're going to hear from here. I cast no judgment on you or anyone else if they've gone through that circumstance. In fact, My position is that the real offenders in this thing are the laws that make it legal and are the doctors and providers who actually do the procedures. They are the real guilty offenders in this, in my view. And the reason for that is when you're in a vulnerable position of having to decide what to do, the ease by which you can do it makes a difference. And all of the affirmation from other people who make it so easy makes a difference, in my view, in a negative way. And so, as long as we're starting from the same point, that we're dealing with the issue of what is called pro choice and pro life. And now, one other thing, too, these are a lot of disclaimers, right? This is not a political issue, it is not political. It is a moral issue, it is a gospel issue, it is a image of God issue that has been made political through the political process. But at its fundamental core, this is not politics, this is morality, this is worldview, this is the very nature of God. So it's deeper than just a political party. Having said that, we have two camps. We have the pro-choice camp. And we have the pro-life camp. So notice in the very wording itself. The focus of the decision. The pro-choice camp. The focus is on the person. Being me. It's I am choosing from my body. What is best for me. That's basically the argument. Right? The pro-life argument is this. I Am for the life of an unborn child. Do you see the difference in the argument? One fundamentally is based in a person's choice or a person's right to do something, the other is in an inalienable right, and that is the right to life itself. In fact, it's life for one who cannot fight for himself, so somebody else has to fight for him or her. Let me give you some numbers. 63 and a half million babies. 63 and a half million babies since 1973 up until today have been aborted. Do the numbers. Look at that. Kind of write, write the, the, the zeros behind the numbers there. 63 and a half million. That is on average. Well... For years it was over a million per year. Now the number of abortions is actually down somewhere between 800,000 and and, and give or take 100,000. The numbers are based on the best reports we can get. Some of them are self-reporting and so that's what we have. So actually these are probably lower numbers on the lower scale. But here's the thing. 63.5 million children did not get the chance to breathe because the mother chose... To terminate the pregnancy, they were created, they were formed, and then before they came into this earth, their life was extinguished. 63.5 million compared to the largest generation we have today, which is the millennials, 72 million. We have killed an entire generation of people. Do you see that? The Generation X, that's my generation, by the way, Roe v. Wade happened in the middle of my generation. I was born in 73, that's when it happened. In in my generation, there's about 60 million. My entire generation would have had perhaps 20 million more kids. Which means there would be 20 million more 50-year-olds. Or 45-year-olds or 65-year-olds. Just from an economic perspective, imagine a workforce that today had 63 and a half more, a million more people working. We would not have to stand in line. Now, that's a very bad argument. That's, I'm not making an argument for life because of that. But I'm just saying, if you think it through, the consequences of abortion over the last 50 years are staggering. If you think of the tax dollars, if you think of the extended families that would be born, my family alone has three kids. If Shannon and I were never given the right to life, then we would not have our son. We would not have our daughters. And we would by then not have our grandchildren that are coming at some point. That's hopeful, wishful thinking. Do you see the extended nature of this? So it's important. So what is really at stake? Psalm 139 tells us why pro-life is the right way, the biblical way, to view this topic. Now, I understand that in this room, there are varying opinions. I get that, and I respect that, but I want to show you what the Bible says about the unborn. The Bible tells us in Psalm 139, let me give you a little background. This is David. The Bible says David was a man after God's own heart, which means nobody else in the history of the world has been spoken of by God with those words. He is a man who is pursuing my own heart. So David had an intimacy with God that perhaps, that we don't know, has ever been uh, displayed before, right? And here's what David said. verse one. I'm just going to give you the background. We're going to go to verse 13, but let me get you there, okay? Verse 1 says, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all of my ways. Before a word is even on my tongue, you know all about it, O Lord. You have encircled me and you placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is far beyond me. It is too lofty. I am unable to reach it or understand it. Where can I go to escape from your spirit? And where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I live on the eastern horizon or settle at the western limits, even there your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. If I say, surely, the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be light. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. So David is saying he, he wrote this psalm as a song, and if you can imagine it being sung, there's a crescendo here. He's saying, God, you know everything there is to know about me. You guard me and you keep me and you provide for me. And you've walked me through valleys and shadows, and you've 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 done so good in my life. And God, I praise you, because even when I don't understand what's going on, you know what's going on, uh, on in my life. But then he stops and he shifts to verse 13. And he says this essentially, but you not only know what's going on in my life now, but you knew my life before I was even formed. So all that you're doing in me now was begun while I was in my mother's own womb. If you need a reason to believe that an unborn baby is valuable, this is the reason that God himself Knows that unborn child and has ordained even the steps for that child to make for the days of his life. Verse 13 says, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together inside my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. And those works, they are wondrous. And, you, and this I know very well. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was formed in the depths of the earth. Your eyes, listen to this. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. Folks, we really don't need anything else but that to understand that an unborn child is valuable and precious in the sight of God. We really need nothing more. But if we look at this and we kind of unpack it and expose it, here's what it's saying. It's saying that the moment a child was conceived and the moment that egg and that sperm came together and then planted on the uterus wall and the moment that 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 that. Uh, embryo began to to grow, and I may be using the not all the perfect terms, but you get my point right and and as it began to grow, God was in it. God was there, God was creating the 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 legs and the arms and and it's funny because when we looked at our little sonogram, it was like a little martian in there right it was it was beautiful and and, and strange all at the same time and I remember looking at the sonograms for all of our kids and going. Wow, that's amazing. And then I remember when I first was able to put my hand or my ear on her, on her stomach and I could, I could feel him kicking me in the head and I was like, whoa. Then I remember going to the doctor and hearing the heartbeat. And I got it wrong earlier. It's not 15 weeks. It's six or seven weeks you can start to sometimes hear a heartbeat. And by eight or ten weeks, the heartbeat is easily heard most of the time. Folks, a heartbeat... We have a brand new baby over at First Baptist. And they brought their child today. Her beautiful little girl. And they said her heartbeat was like 130 something beats per minute. That's like. And then they, they. They watched the sonogram. And they watched the heart. Just and you think to yourself. Surely. This is the most amazing thing. That God has ever done. To form a system of creation to where a woman and a man can come together and a child, a life can be brought forth from them after the mother carries his child. And so we understand biblically what's going on here. And I would would say, I've really wrestled with this statement, but I I have to say it because I think it's true. I don't know how any pastor could be anything other than for the life of an unborn child if they believe in what God's word has to say. How could any other, how could you get to any other conclusion but God is in that situation in the womb? How could you find any other choice? Doesn't make sense to me. But we know the Bible says it. Let's move to a a logical argument, though, shall we? For just a moment. Because, frankly, when you read the Scripture to someone who doesn't believe the Scripture has any authority, their answer to you is, I don't believe that book. Who cares what the Bible says? Which, that, by the way, we're going to get to in a minute, but that is the core issue with pro-choice. It is really not about life. It is about Rebellion against God at its very nature. I'll show you in a minute. But let me give you a logical explanation of why this child is valuable and is human. Just hasn't been born yet. S-L-E-D. You may want to write this down because this is one of the best arguments I ever heard. And when I heard it, I was like, you know what? i got to learn that. The only difference between an unborn child and a child that has been born is four differences. S-L-E-D. That would be size, level of development, environment, and degree of dependency. Those are the only four differences. We know biologically, that the moment a child, the moment an embryo is there and is fertilized, all of the DNA needed for that child or for that, that, that blob to become a fully formed human, it's all there. All of the coding for the heart, the lungs, the fingernails, the hair color, the, the, uh, maybe even the temperament, all these things, they're all there. So we know that DNA-wise, that's set in the very beginning. And so, what is the difference between the moment of conception to the moment of birth? S-L-E-D. And we would never argue that these four differences would make a person less human if we bring them to the logical conclusion. For instance, S, size. Nobody would ever say that a um, a four-year-old has less value... Than a 50 year old. I mean I say nobody would say. No no reasoning uh, rational person would say. You know what you're just a child. You're less valuable. In fact it's actually the opposite. At least it should right. People get much more upset. When you hurt a child. Than when you hurt an adult. And they should. Because children are more vulnerable. They're in need of protection. And yet their size is smaller. Than adults. So their value doesn't change. And if it did change, they would be more value. It would go the opposite direction. But what we're saying with an unborn child is, well, their size is not quite what a baby would be. So they have less value. That doesn't make sense, does it? Size does not determine humanness. And size does not determine value. If it did, then I'm more valuable than most of the people in this room. Because I am 6'3 and not many of you are. See, you would say, Jeff, that's just crazy. You're right, it's crazy. Size is not a determination of value or of humanness. L, level of development. What does that mean? That means how far along you are in your humanness. The developmental nature of a human is that we are always developing. Always, until we die, we are developing. We're developing physically. We're developing emotionally. We're developing spiritually. We're developing in every single way of our life. But nobody would say that a person who is less developed on earth, like, for instance, again, uh, somebody with Down syndrome or somebody with uh, some other developmental uh, disability, nobody would say they're less valuable than someone who is fully developed. Would, Would they? In fact... We would argue exactly the opposite. Those who are less developed deserve more protection and more attention, and there's more caution in dealing with them because they are more vulnerable in many ways. And yet, with the baby, we don't see it the same way when the pro choice movement. But here's the thing a child a simple, or unborn baby is simply less developed than a born baby. They're just less developed, their fingers and their toes are tiny. And then they continue to develop and then about nine months or so the mama's body says it is time to get this thing out. It's time for this thing to be on its own and not dependent upon me because there's enough development for him or her to survive and to continue developing. So here's the thing. Development, level of development does not give humanness nor does it give value. If anything, we could argue the opposite. The less developed, the more we should protect and keep and view as precious. E, environment. Does your environment make you more human than someone else? What if you live in a wealthy environment? Are you more important than someone who lives in a poor environment? What if your environment is dusty and dirty and you you don't have shoes and stuff. Are you less of a human than someone who who has all those things? Inside the womb is one of the most dangerous places in America to be. One of the most dangerous places in America to be. Because if you walked in to a school and you begin killing children... The news would cover it. Everybody would be up in arms, and rightly so. There would be demands of justice, and, and it would be a tragedy, because it is a tragedy. And yet inside of the womb, this child is seen to just be a thing, or the pro-choice people call him a fetus, which if you look at the Latin meaning of fetus, you might be surprised to say that that word doesn't help the pro-choice movement at all. It's an environment or a place for bearing forth a child or something to that effect. It's, it's really interesting. I just learned it a few minutes ago, actually. And so, yeah, somebody showed me, said, do you know what fetus means? I said, nope, it's Latin for, and I was like, whoa, that really is cool. Look it up on your phone. You have a phone. So a child inside of a womb is unprotected. In so many ways. And is vulnerable. And yet somehow we've said. That child the moment he passes into. This environment. Suddenly has value. Folks that doesn't make any logical sense. None whatsoever. Let me confuse the issue just a little more. The hypocrisy of our nation says. That it is a federal crime. If you endanger. Harass. Or destroy the egg of an eagle or a turtle. They are federally protected species. Federally protected. If you mess with an egg of an eagle or a turtle, you a sea turtle, you can be punished by a hundred or $200,000 in fines and up to a year in prison because the federal law says you can't do that. My question to you is this. Why? Why can you abort a baby, but you can't touch the egg of an eagle? So does that eagle have value inside the egg, even though the eagle has not been born? Or the turtle? Do you see how confused and hypocritical it really is? Why? Because it's really not about the baby after all. It's about... Rebellion against God. And this is where it sounds hard, but I want you to follow... Actually, let me go back to the last one. Level of dependency. Level of dependency simply means what it takes to actually function and live. Well, are we going to say that your level of dependency determines your humanness? Because if it does, then anybody wearing glasses has less humanity... Than somebody who doesn't have glasses. Because you're dependent on those glasses to see clearly. Anybody who takes insulin shots. You are less of a human. Than somebody who doesn't. Because you are dependent on those shots. To actually live and breathe and function. If you are injured in a car accident. And you have to be put on life support. You move from human. To not as much human. I'm I'm, I'm talking. This is the argument right. Right. If your level of dependency determines your humanness, then then you must become less of a human if you get on life support because you can't live without the support. And all of us in this room would say that doesn't make sense. Of course, you don't lose your humanity. You're still human because human that humanity is not given by the dependency. Humanity is given by the fact that you were created and you have DNA and you're 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 a you're a, 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 a human. So why would being inside the womb make any difference in dependency than outside of the womb? S-L-E-D. If those four differences are the only differences between an unborn baby and a baby that has been born, then what argument can we stand on to say that it is okay to terminate the life of an unborn child? If they are a human, where does that lead us? If we say, yes, you can take their life, it leads us to the only logical place of being pro-choice. I will choose what I will do with my body ultimately is rebellion against God. Let me tell you why. Because the Bible says that our lives, our bodies are not our own. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So it's really not my body, not my choice. It's God's body. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. So my choice is really not my choice, except the choice to obey God or not obey God. I know that sounds simplistic, but where else can we go with this? What else can we do? Just as I don't really have a choice of whether or not I want to be an adulterer. I mean, I, can, I, I have a choice to obey God or not, but I don't have the right because I'm married to one woman and she's my wife. And because what God said, that is what God means. I don't have a choice to murder somebody else on the street. Why? Because God said that's not your ability or right to do. So we have all of these things that play into this. And what we need to understand is this. The battle has just begun. But the beginning of the battle for you and for me is to stand firmly on the understanding of what it means to be truly pro-life. Pro-life means, I believe that the unborn child not only is human, but is valuable and deserves all the protections that we provide any other human being. And if not just the same amount, we should provide more. So, here's the thing. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, says that true religion is this, that... We look after the orphans and the widows. That tells us that God has a special place in his heart for those who are unprotected, for those who are vulnerable. And when James is saying this, he's saying, look, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is the start of your religion. That is the start of your faith. Don't go talking about all kinds of religious stuff if you're not going to do the very most basic thing, and that is provide for and take care of the vulnerable. And you find this all throughout Scripture. In Ruth, one of the examples, in Ruth, you have the uh, uh, biblical understanding of gleaning. You have this concept of understanding that God told the people who own the fields, look, don't get all of the a harvest leave some of the harvest on the ground let it fall down leave some of it standing why would he do that he said because there are aliens and strangers and there are those who are unprotected and i'm providing for them through you not taking everything in the field that's the principle that we find there and the reason that he said that was he cares about those who are unprotected and vulnerable And folks, I would say to you that the unborn are the most unprotected and the most vulnerable. And we should do every single thing we possibly can to make sure that they have a chance at life. And the foundation of that is not logic. The foundation of that is Psalm 139. Before you were even formed, I knew you. I saw you and I written your days before they even came to pass. So a couple of things that we're dealing with now. You're going to see over the next several weeks a heated debate over this. I want to caution you to be careful how you speak, but not to remain silent. I don't know how to to gauge this. I I struggle with it myself because if if somebody's saying something and I I have something I can add that's valuable from God's word, I want to add it. But at some point it goes from a conversation to an argument and so you're just gonna have to use wisdom and 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 give lots of grace to so that when it moves from conversation to argument you just bow out because you arguments aren't helpful conversations are but you're going to find over the next several weeks that there are going to be a lot of a lot of polarities and a lot of polarization going on what i mean by that is you're going to have memes and here's some of the silly ones that i've seen it's really not about children, or it's really not about life, because if it were about children, you'd give free stuff and you would do free this and you'd do free that and then y'all. And, and it's like, wait a minute, time out. We we just jumped an argument here. We're talking. We're not talking about uh, either or. I can be for the life of a child and have a disagreement on how to best care for that child. Although I will say this. There is some truth in that statement. Folks, hear me well. If we speak for life, we better be willing to back up what we're saying by providing as much as we can, as best as we can for those who choose life. Amen? We should do that. We should open up our pocketbooks and we should open up our budgets and we should support ministries and people and things that are fighting in the the, the grassroots level of giving life and keeping children alive. We should do that. But now the the danger is to polarize. If you don't do this, then you are not that. That's, That's really dangerous. Another one that you'll see is how about we start with banning guns so that we don't kill kids in school? And then we'll move to abortion. I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's really just a dumb conversation. It's not, they're, they're not the same. They're just not the same. It's two arguments. Now, we can have both arguments, but let's not confuse the arguments by, by distracting. That's actually a, a, a logical a fallacy if you go all the way in. It. So, here's the thing. For you and for me, we must first know what God's Word says... We must believe firmly in what God's word says. And then we must address the conversations with grace and kindness, but also with truth. And in doing so, expect that you you are on a side, I can confidently say this, that God is on. God is for life. He's absolutely for life. That's the side you and I should be on. So somebody might ask, well, what about what about the anomalies? What about the situations with rape and incest and uh, 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 m- pregnancies that have gone wrong? What do they call it? Utopian, not utopian um, Optopic? Op- you know, what, it, well, so what, what about all those things? So listen, those are valuable arguments to have or conversations to have. But we're not really talking about those conversations. We're talking about the bigger picture of in our country up until Friday, it was legal to abort your baby simply because you chose to do so. No reason, no justification, no nothing. Now the pro-choice side will say, now all these people are going to die. All these people are going to be in pain. Listen, I want to tell you that nobody ever terminates a pregnancy and walks away from it with no repercussions to themselves or to their families. It doesn't happen. Survivors pay a price. And the media doesn't want to tell us that, but I can tell you from working in pregnancy centers that they absolutely pay a price. But all those other, uh, all those other uh, anomalies, if you will, those are important. We can talk about those. But the bigger picture is we need to make sure that life is protected. Now, don't go assuming what I believe on these things because here's what I believe. I believe that a tragedy doesn't need a tragedy to fix the tragedy. So that's what I think about that. In issues where the mother could genuinely die. I might consider that being okay. If you have to truly choose. But percentage wise. If you talk to doctors. That is such a small percentage. Such a small percentage of what actually is going on. But that would be the only thing that I could see. Where you'd really have to choose. What do we do in this situation? And by the way. I know of mothers who their choice was, I will do everything I can to save my child. The truth is, all of us should do everything we can to save every child we can. That's our job. That's our responsibility as God's people. And my prayer is that we would speak up with truth and with grace... Because the battle has just begun. Twenty-six states almost immediately will have anti abortion or severely limited abortion laws. That means twenty-four other states are not going to have those laws immediately. But I predict, I predict that many more states will follow. Amen. Whew. That was a tough one. But God has been clear. I want to be on the side of God's word. And I pray that you will as well. Hey, um, so that, that's the message, okay? Let me just give you uh, my, my, my take on something. These, these cities and these companies who are so offensively against this that they're making it their platform, Woe is the future of them. Guys, I want to tell you, when you so, so blatantly go against God, you are stepping on very, very dangerous waters. Dick Sporting Goods, I don't know if you saw it, but they have said, hey, we're, gonna, we're not only going to send you to where you want to go, we'll pay up to $4,000. This is a sporting goods company who has made a political statement somehow thinking that this is good for their customers and for their employees. That didn't make sense. Disney has made similar statements. There are cities who are refuge cities. They're actually saying, we will pay for you to come here and stay here so that you can kill your baby in our city. I have to tell you, folks, God does not turn a blind eye to that. There is judgment from God that, Woe to the one who thinks that they can just do that and get away. You rarely hear me talking like that, but I'm telling you, this is, a, this is sinister in every possible level. So, that's what I have to say. Will you close your eyes and bow your head with me for just a moment? This morning, let me start by saying, if you are in this room and you have dealt in any level with, with this issue... I just want to tell you that God's love for you is, is deep and it's wide. And whatever pain you might be feeling right now, that there's, that, that's not minimized and that's not, um, that's not passed over. and that's, we're, we're not unaware of how deeply that hurts. But I want to invite you to the cross. And I want to invite you to the grace that you will find through Jesus Christ. Where guilt and condemnation and shame can be totally, totally healed. This morning, if you are here and your mind is not made up, I want to invite you just to go to God's word and ask him to set your heart in the right place. Father, I pray that this day you would help us to see clearly. Clearly. The value that you place in unborn children. God, I pray that as a church, we would stand firmly on this. And I pray that as a people, as neighbors and as friends, Lord, we would speak truth in love. God, I pray this day, if there's anyone here who's not ever trusted you as Lord and Savior. I ask that today would be that day they enter into a relationship with you. by grace you.